series, uh, developing our Christian character, in particularly at this time, over the next few weeks, looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And this morning I want to look at uh, partaking of peace. Cheryl, can you sync that to the back screen, please? How many people on uh, Zoom today? Sam? 13 connections on Zoom. Hello to everybody on Zoom. Partaking of peace. So we've looked at journeying into joy and the first week was love. Yeah, yeah that's it. I'm glad you remember. We'll, we'll know them all by the end of the series. And uh, I trust that you need to hear the message about peace because the, the, the message the world gives is only one part of it. The message that God gives is the greater part and we need to understand that. So read through with me Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 to 9. And this is what Paul writes and in this there is this promise of peace. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You will have the peace of God if you are consistent with doing what the Scriptures say. I want to talk about... uh, In verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, Paul writes, or seen in me, put into practice and the peace of God will be with you. There's these promises of peace throughout the scriptures and we need to, we need to know them, we need to learn them, we need to remember them, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to bring them up into our lives at the times when we're going through tough times. The world is crying out for peace. I don't know if, uh, oh, wrong one. (laughs) He's coming. Some of us would have listened uh, maybe occasionally or perhaps even regularly to uh, radio personality John Laws. Anybody listen to John Laws over the years um, when he's had his um, talkback show? Probably I didn't listen to him too often because I didn't agree with a lot of his perspectives. But the thing that I did listen and notice was that a lot of the phone calls he received, hundreds of phone calls each month, were from people that were requesting different topics. And someone analysed the calls and asked what was the most common question or the most common topic that they talked about. And the answer was that people seemed to be afraid or worried about something not going into specifics, but people seem to be afraid or worried about something. They're afraid of losing their health. They're, afraid, they're worried about their job. They're, they're filled with concerns about their family. They're frustrated with people. They've they're, uh, uh, got problems with their neighbours. A lot of the calls that he received weren't just complaining about government decisions. They were relational problems. They were relationships that had ruptured or were on the verge of rupturing and and people just needed to know that somebody had heard them. They were looking for peace. I don't think he could really offer it to them. He could listen 
And often his style was to listen and reflect back and not necessarily give any, any answer. Sometimes he was very straight. But, but often when it came to relationship stuff, it was a little bit shaky. What about you and I today? Don't know if world, uh, uh, this world situation affects you much, but I've been watching the uh, issues about the re- Ukrainian border and the build-up of Russian military uh, forces there and the, the um, arguments that are going on in world politics over that. And I'm wondering, is it going to affect us here? What will be the flow-on effect? Some of us are in relationship uh, difficulties and we, we, we're wondering how long we can sustain the relationships the way they are. Let me tell you a story about uh, this guy, the cookie monster. Most of us know who he is. Anybody not know who the cookie monster is? Oh, good. This story was written in a newspaper and it was about a father and his daughter and how the father reacted to the cookie monster. This is how the story went. A man's plan was to have his young daughter meet the cookie monster and uh, his plan crumbled, as it were, when he was arrested for allegedly assaulting the furry blue Sesame Street character. Police say the father was upset that the cookie monster would not pose for a picture at the Sesame Street theme park with his daughter. So he shoved and kicked the employee inside the costume. Police said that the 21-year-old employee suffered bruised ribs, a cervical sprain and when the father shoved her to the ground. Then he kicked her in the back. He was brought up before charges. I don't think he was at peace, that guy. His reaction was not a peaceful reaction to the, uh, not having a photo with his, his daughter. A lot of people are chasing after peace. They say they want peace as one of the supreme virtues in life but often for a lot of people that peace is not evident. We've heard a lot of talk about road rage of uh, the last few years. Anybody ever seen road rage? Any, anybody ever received road rage? Next question, anybody ever committed road rage? And there's not too many hands going up with that. But you might have thought about it. Is that how we as followers of Jesus should live our lives in this culture that is searching for peace but seldom finds it? I think there's some answers in the scriptures that we need to examine today. Galatians 5, remember the verse, let's say it together. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We should know this. This is how we should live. We've discovered so far, even after two weeks, that this fruit of the Spirit can only come when we allow God's Holy Spirit control and the ability to work in our lives. When we surrender that control to him, he, is, he alone is the source of the fruit of the Spirit. He alone is the supplier of peace. So I'm going to look at three things this morning. I'm going to look at defining peace, then I'm going to look at uh, some actions we can take on, on, on how we can have peace with God in our lives and I want to leave you with a bit of an acrostic on the word peace so that we might remember this. So what's peace? It's not merely the absence of any, 
angry activity in our lives, if you like. It's not that absence of activity. Uh, Often you might use the term peace and quiet and we long for peace and quiet. It could be our need to slow down and take a breath. And that's what some people define as peace. But it's not the absence of activity. It's not the absence of hostility. The biblical concept is much deeper than just not having conflict in our lives. And then peace is not just getting away from reality and going on holidays. We might think that that's peaceful for a while, but holidays don't tend to last, do they? But the Bible offers peace right where we are. We don't have to go on a holiday to have peace. Bible offers us peace right where we are. Anybody know the Old Testament word for peace? Shalom, shalom, however you might say it. That's right, shalom. And this is what it means. A state of wholeness and harmony that is intended to resonate in all relationships. So, so if you say shalom to somebody, you're saying, I hope that, that you have that place of wholeness and harmony in your life. That's what the Hebrew word would be for shalom. In Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24 to 26 it says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. You've heard of this uh, blessing in the past. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you shalom. Give you peace. Isn't that what we're looking for? Isn't that what the world's looking for? This peace that has that brings that harmony and that wholeness into our relationships. The New Testament, much the same sort of word. Oh, New Testament. Yeah, New Testament. Uh, we're going to look at three levels or three layers or three spheres or f- three planes of what peace is in the New Testament. First of all, peace with God, then the peace of God and then peace with others and see what God has to say to us about this. Last week we looked at this verse, Zephaniah. Did anybody go home after last week and read the book of Zephaniah? No one? Philippians. Philippians. Oh, I hope you read Philippians all week. But Zephaniah thought, might have twigged somebody. What is this Zephaniah? I've never read it before. I should go home and read it this week. Well, do it this week. Okay? So Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 reminded us that the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God rejoices over us with singing. We need to let this truth soak into our spirits, that God rejoices over us with singing. But sadly, due to the effects of sin and sometimes the devastating effects of sin, we don't realise that God is still rejoicing over us. We feel as though sometimes we might be at war with God because of all this sinful stuff that's happening around about us. In fact, at one stage, Paul writes that we were considered enemies of God. And Romans 5.10, for if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? So we were once God's enemies. He looked on us as his enemies. Nature of God's wrath, I think uh, Ephesians says. That's how God saw us, pre our relationship with him. We were under his judgement. And Psalm says that God is a righteous judge who expresses his wrath every day. And yet in spite of that, the good news is that God loves us. He rejoices over us. And we need to, we need to remember that. 
We need to remember that, that even though God is a God of wrath against wickedness, he is a God who loves us and rejoices over us. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not at war with God anymore. We're at peace with God through Jesus Christ. I wonder, we've remembered that Jesus is our substitute today in the communion time. Never forget what he did on the cross for you and me. We can now be at peace with God through what Jesus has done. And this word peace means to to set again, to set back to a right place, if you like, to to reset, to start again that relationship. And that's what God wanted for us. God poured out his wrath so that Jesus might be the sin substitute for us so that we might start our relationship with God again. Paul says something like this in Colossians. And through him, that's through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. An awful thing for Jesus to go through. Suffering and death. But the outcome, the result was that people who believed in him as the Son of God, Saviour of the world, might know that peace with God that's on offer. We don't deserve this peace, do we? We don't deserve it. What we deserve is death and eternal punishment, but God's love and mercy provided a way for us to be reset, to be at one again with the God of the universe, which is his plan for us. And there may be people that you know, workmates, family, friends, that need to be reset back to what God originally wanted them to be. Because sin has damaged that relationship. Jesus came to offer peace and that peace, if you like, is the word reset with God. Someone has once said, God's joy and his justice converge on the cross of Calvary. His joy at welcoming us back. His justice for sin converge on the cross of Calvary. So his love and his law find full satisfaction through the sacrificial death of his son. God is both just and the justifier. These are interesting statements, aren't they? His fury is absorbed and resolved in the sacrifice of Christ. Amazing. When we put our faith in Christ, we are justified and that means that we've been declared righteous and at peace with God forever. When we put our faith in Jesus. It's for now and it's forever. And it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on anything that you've done. It depends on Christ and your trust in him. Romans 8, 1 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Once at war with God, once God's enemies, but now no condemnation at all. There's that peace, there's that hope. We talked about peace with God. What about the peace of God? Peace of God. And we've heard this announced 
at the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. Those at peace with God can experience the peace of God. Those at peace with God can experience the peace of God. And Jesus promised that, didn't he? In John chapter 14, he said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This inner peace is a gift from Jesus. And it's one of the key elements of the fruit of the Spirit. This peace. Partaking in this peace. And I hazard a guess, this is just a guess, that we will experience peace in proportion to the room we give the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we allow the Holy Spirit more control of our lives and we surrender to God daily, then we'll experience God's peace in proportion to that. That's a challenge, isn't it? If we spend some of our time worrying and anxious and, 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 and upset or angry, that's not allowing the Holy Spirit to be involved in that part of our life. If we surrender that, then we'll experience God's peace. I don't know if you noticed as you read the New Testament, but all of Paul's letters start with a greeting of peace. Have you noticed that? There's the other homework for this week. Read, go to the first chapter of all of Paul's letters and see what his greeting is. Um, and some of the letters end with a blessing of peace as well. Not all of them, but some of them. Church at Thessalonica, they needed this encouragement. They were suffering from oppression and persecution from the authorities. They were confronted with the problem of immorality in the life of the church and they were grieving over those who had died. They were battling false teachers. And what did Paul say to them? He said this, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. How can we experience this peace all the time? How can you and I experience this peace all the time? Again, Paul writes in Philippians, he says this, don't be anxious about anything. Anybody can say they haven't been anxious about something last week? My hand's not up. But Paul says, don't be anxious about it, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. God wants to hear about what we're going through. And then the promise is, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So how can we experience it? By not being anxious about anything, by talking to God about everything. Our requests, our thanksgiving, our petitions. God wants to be that intimate in our life. We're told not to worry about the anxieties of life. Do we, when we see something on the news or hear something in conversation, get caught up in it or do we say, Lord, I hand that over to you. I don't know the answers. I hand that over to you. We need to be doing that through prayer. The path to inner peace comes through prayer. That word petition carries the idea of being specific about what our needs are. Not only our needs but what our wants are too. What our problems are. And then we're to do this with thanksgiving, Paul says. We hand them to God. 
we hand them to God and we can experience peace. And that peace passes all understanding, transcends all understanding. It's a peace that we just can't explain because we're trusting God in that situation. Oh, keep on going. Don't be anxious about anything. But if you are, then present your requests to God. When you do, his supernatural and profound peace will come and protect you so that you won't be filled with worry and anxiety. Who wants that? Who wants that? Try that this week. <laughs> you know, try it out. You know, try it before you buy it. No. Try it out this week. You've already bought into the relationship, so try it out. Trust God in what could be those anxious moments. Hand it over to God. A third level of peace is peace with others. And Jesus said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We're, we're called to live at peace with people around about us, aren't we? That's, that's God's design. I find it interesting that he, Jesus didn't tell us to be peacekeepers. He told us to be peacemakers. So we're to be involved. Or the other word for that could be peace workers. We're to be involved. It's an effort to bring conflict to an end. That's what peace is about, peace with others. Romans 14 says, Therefore let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So there's a, there's a, respons- there's a corporate responsibility to be at peace with each other. Now I, I um, mentioned, uh, was it Zephaniah? Yeah, Zephaniah last week. Well here's another book you might not have read much and this time it's in the New Testament, the book of Philemon. Who's read that? Who's read Philemon? On occasion, it's probably not something you read every week, but it's a letter from Paul to Philemon and in this, there's this great story of peace and resolution of conflict. Worth a quick look this morning. And in this, in this book, Paul is the reconciler. He is writing to Philemon about Philemon's slave, Onesimus, who ran away from his master, Philemon, and possibly also stole something from his master. But Paul chooses to be a peacemaker in this situation. He writes this letter, verse 13, and he says that um, Onesimus has been assisting him in his ministry and he wants Philemon to welcome him back. And, And he tells Onesimus that he wants him to go back and make things right with Philemon. So Paul is the reconciler. Onesimus is the repenter. He's the one who needs to take the initiative to be willing to be reconciled with his master no matter what the outcome might be. He's been converted since he's been, he came to faith in Jesus since he ran away from his master. So he has a responsibility to God to sort this out as well. And he has to travel 1,600 kilometres to get back to his master to say, forgive me. So Onesimus is the repenter. And Paul sending this letter to Philemon to encourage him to forgive Onesimus. I wonder if we've wronged somebody, what are the necessary steps that we need to take, no matter how long the journey is, to be reconciled to that person. As repenters, we need to acknowledge our sins and go to those whom we've offended. That was the essence of Philemon. But Philemon was the receiver. And in a culture that has slavery involved, we don't understand that too much, but in a culture that has slavery involved, this is a massive request of Paul 
to ask Philemon to forgive, sorry, to receive and to forgive Onesimus. That's a big ask. Paul says, see Onesimus not as a piece of property, but see him as a dear brother in the Lord. That would have been a big step for Philemon to forgive Onesimus. I wonder, do you need to forgive and restore someone this morning? Maybe God's saying something to you about that. This is paramount to seeing peace happen in your life and in the life of the body of Christ. Two men were having a bit of a conflict. Let's call them um, Sam Smith and Joe Jones. They weren't talking to each other. This deeply concerned a third person. His name was Bob Brown. So he got together with Sam Smith and asked him, what do you think of Joe Jones? Sam quickly responded, he's the biggest drop kick in town. So he didn't think much of him. Bob stopped him and said, you've got to admit though that he is a good dad, right? And Sam said, yeah, yeah he is. Definitely a family man. So the next day, Bob Brown went over to Joe Jones and said, do you know what Sam Smith said about you? No, but I can't imagine anything good coming out of his mouth. Bob then said, this may surprise you, but he said that you are very kind to your family. What do you think of Smith? asked Bob Brown. Truthfully, I think he's one of the lowest uh, rascals that you could ever come across. But you have to admit that he's very honest in business, don't you? Joe responded. Without a doubt, Sam said. You can definitely trust him in business. The next day, Bob called in on Sam again and said, do you know what Jones said about you? He claims that you're an honest businessman and that your word can be trusted. I wonder what the conversation would have been next time Sam Smith and Joe uh, Joe Jones got together. I wonder if this is what it's about, being a peacemaker. I wonder if that's what God's asking us to do. Someone has used the term holy meddlers. I don't like it. I'd rather see it as working to making peace with people. You might have heard of the Brooklyn uh, Tabernacle Choir. Have you heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir? Well, Joe Simbala is the pastor of the church there and he saw this lack of peace, this, this conflict could be detrimental to the choir if they weren't working as a team, weren't working as one. So they instituted some rules in the life of the church. This is what they in the life of the choir. The first time we hear you talk about another choir member in a negative way, there'll be no warning, you'll be asked to leave the choir. That's pretty strong, isn't it? First time you talk about somebody in a negative way. And then during the membership class of their church, they also have something like this. The moment you hear someone speak anything bad about someone, you stop them in mid-sentence and say, have you talked to that person yet? If you haven't, go to him right now. They don't put up with gossip in their church. And gossip is slaying, destroying lots of churches today. Paul writes about it, he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Are we seeking peace as followers of Jesus? Are we truly wanting to be his disciples and and develop that, that attitude of peace in our lives? Then here is an acrostic you may like to jot down. Plan a peace conference. Instead of calling a radio talkback show, 
I trust that you might have a third party involved who will take the initiative to conduct this conference. The Bible tells us how to do this in Matthew chapter 5. It says that if, there's something, if your brother has something against you, you are to take the initiative and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and bring your gift to God. Matthew 18 also says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. So you need to plan a peace conference. You need to take the initiative. It's going to be hard work. The longer you wait, the harder it will be to see this peace come between brothers who are in conflict or sisters who are in conflict. E is for you need to empathise with their feelings. When you sit down with a person, the first thing you need to do is shut up and listen because often we come with our own agenda and we never listen to what that person is saying or feeling, understand what they're feeling. We can have our own view but we need to understand what the other person's view is. Even if we disagree with them, I think that it's important that we listen and empathise with them. Paul writes this in Ephesians, each of you should look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. This, uh, this word look is the word scopos, to focus on. So it's not just a, a, a passing interest, it's empathise, it's focus on. It's like a telescope, look intently at. And often when we take the time to listen and not speak, we can understand how much that person is hurting about something, whether it's the conflict you're in with them or something else that's causing that conflict. A is for attack the problem, not the person. So if you want to be at peace with people, attack the problem, not the person. We're called to speak the truth in love and Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, if we do that. How do we do this? Talk truth. Don't hammer the person with questions. Talk truth. Don't hammer the persons with questions. We need to be persuasive but not abrasive. We need to be persuasive when we're talking to people but not abrasive with people. We, we can't get across our point if we are cross when we're saying it. We need to attack the problem, not the person. We need to cooperate as much as possible. Jesus reminds us that it's very easy for us to have a uh, four-inch by six-inch plank of timber in our own lives when we're picking own eye and we're picking on the speck of dust in our in our brother's eye. And Paul says in Romans 12, "If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone." James says this. Peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. I wonder when we are in conflict with people or in conflict with an issue, do we seek to see that resolved and by cooperation? E is emphasise reconciliation, not resolution. We're not always going to resolve the issue, but we can be reconciled with the person. We're not always going to resolve the issue but we can be reconciled with the person. And Paul reminds us again, he says, God was reconciling to the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So we should be about seeing people reconciled. Peace 
Is that what you're after? Then maybe there's some things you can do about it this week. The first one? Whoop. Go back. Make peace with God. If you've never made, made peace with God, this must be your first step. If you're angry with God, or you've got, or you've got questions to God that, are, that you don't think you've answered, you need to make peace with God and trust God. One pastor was talking to a young man one day and he said, the man went to his pastor in great distress, distress because um, of all the anxiety, of all the trouble, all the friction he had in his life. And he asked the pastor, can you tell me what I must do to find peace? The minister replied, young man, you're too late. The man was devastated. You mean it's too late for me to be saved? The pastor smiled and said, oh no, but you are too late to do anything. Jesus did everything that needed to be done 20 centuries ago so that you might have peace today. There's nothing you can do. Trust him. Secondly, you need to identify one thing that you're worried about right now. Give it to God in prayer. What was the promise? That if we hand these things over to God, the peace of God will be in our lives. I wonder if we need to say something good when someone says something bad. I wonder if we let comments go by in a group of people that we know have affected other people but we failed to do anything, we failed to say anything. I'd encourage you to read the book of Philemon. There's another homework. And I encourage you to put the peace plan into action and see what God does in your life this week. In recent weeks we've heard of the volcanic eruption and the subsequent tsunami over Tonga and that brought major damage in the communities and death in that Pacific island. It's affected people there on the ground but it's also affected family and friends around the globe. Why? It was sudden, it was unexpected and, and, and there was little that people could do to prepare for the onslaught of the tsunami. Some of us are facing tsunamis right now in our lives, in our relationships with other people. Perhaps tension is flying. Perhaps hearts have been broken and ripped open. Perhaps relationships are in shreds. I believe today God is sounding his warning siren. You need to listen to him. You need to do what it is to bring peace into your relationships through what we've looked at today. He will do it. It's a promise. He will offer you his peace. Peace with God, the peace of God and peace with others. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that uh, in a world where there seems to be so much turmoil, so much anxiety and worry around about us, Father, we pray that it won't infiltrate our lives. We pray that the hope that we have in Jesus, the, the love that we have in Jesus, the peace that we have in Jesus will be reflected in our lives so that others may see it and know that in spite of all that's going on about us, we have peace within, we have peace with you. Father, may they be drawn to you with a promise of peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ask the music team to come and join me.